0: Welcome to Better Food Stories, a show that celebrates real food and the people and companies who make it. I'm your host, Audrea Greenhoff, and in this podcast, I'm sitting down with the entrepreneurs behind some of today's most innovative food brands to find out what it really takes to make it in this highly competitive space. Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Better Food Stories podcast. I am your host, Audrea Greenhoff. And if you've been following along the show, you probably noticed there was a little bit of a gap between episodes in the month of July. Um, Unfortunately, we had a very near and dear family member um, pass away due to COVID-19, so it was... Uh, really shocking and just terrible time for for the family, and I took a little bit of a break uh, with recording episodes and posting new content. it's been it's been definitely a challenging time. And also if you've been following along for any amount of time on the show, you've probably heard me um, mention that I am having a baby um, in actually just a couple of weeks away uh, as of the time of this recording. So, yeah, there's been, there's been a lot going on. I've been going back and forth about this podcast and how I can sustain it and really bring um, the best of myself and the best of the content that I've put together uh, for you, the audience, and, and bringing most value to you. So if you are listening, if you've been listening for any amount of time, I greatly appreciate that you are here. So now that you have a bit of a life update Um, I am excited to introduce you to today's guest. It is Coconut Bliss's CEO, Kim Gibson-Clark, and Kim has been a leader in the plant-based industry for over 20 years. She's an expert in sustainability, ethical food sourcing, and the future of plant-based food. Um, If you're familiar with Coconut Bliss, you know that this is an awesome brand. I love them, and I really learned a lot from Kim. I'm also excited that we talked about the brand's new CSR program to empower women coconut farmers in the Philippines. This is a really great initiative and a wonderful way that of, uh, company that's already doing wonderful things is giving back to communities around the world so I'm excited about this episode I think that you are going to get a lot of information and Kim also shares some great great advice for aspiring entrepreneurs so make sure to listen through to the end to get that insight from her so here is my interview with Kim I'm very excited to chat with you today
1: it's my pleasure to join you thank you so much for the invitation
0: for anyone who isn't familiar with Coconut Bliss, give us a quick intro to you and what this brand is all about.
1: Coconut Bliss, uh, we got started back in 2005. Luna and Larry created the company in order to have a solution for people who are not eating dairy or soy um, you know, for people who those items just made them feel bad, or for other reasons, they, you know, chose not to eat dairy. Um, they really wanted to provide an amazing tasting solution that could be a dessert and enjoyed by everyone. And so uh, they quickly discovered coconut milk is this beautiful ingredient that's so creamy, it has so many amazing uh, fats in it the medium chain triglycerides and it just tastes so good and it works beautifully into making ice cream so they've always just thought of um, the product as just real ice cream just because it's so pure it's from real ingredients it's not trying to be something that it's not it's just very straightforward and and you know really beautiful flavors so they got started with that concept and using agave syrup as a sweetener and really just went from there. So because of their values as well, they um, decided that everything should be um, from organic farms. And they made an effort to really reach out and know the farmers, know the suppliers. My family got involved a couple years into Luna and Larry creating the company. They basically we were running out of space in their manufacturing. And my family owns a manufacturing plant for ice cream. And so, and we had been making the So Delicious products, um, dairy fruit products for about 20 years at that point. So we were really experts uh, in the U.S. for making plant-based ice cream already. And so when they came to us, it was just this beautiful alignment of resources and a product that we felt really good about making. Um, And so we helped them build the company, expand it across the U.S. and Canada, invest in the company. And for the last 10 years, we have been the controlling interest owners and now are 100% owners of Coconut Bliss. Um, And with that, we've been able to Really have fun and play with the ingredients, meet new suppliers, uh, and really get a more diverse offering of products on the market. So everything that Coconut Bliss does is still fully organic certified, which is really important to us and important to me personally. And uh, we also source fair trade wherever possible. We manufacture everything very fresh and you know daily in our manufacturing plant. And we're still using that same source of coconut milk from Thailand that Luna and Larry sourced uh, almost 15 years ago. So we're really the only organic, plant-based, gluten-free, certified brand on the market. So it really is, because of all these things that we take into consideration for our customers, we really um, the only solution and the only you know ice cream product of its kind. I think a, a good example would be our uh, cookie sandwiches that the cookie we worked with Pamela's, which is a gluten- free certified company, and they manufacture um, our cookies for us. We worked with them to create this really unique cookie that is made from Um, organic, gluten-free sprouted flours, and we put flax in there. There's hemp seeds in there, applesauce sweetened. Um, So it's really this super unique product that um, we just really take the extra steps, the kind of things that you would do in your home kitchen to make something really special or uh, what you would maybe find at a farmer's market that's only done by You know, local and small batch people, we still provide those kinds of products to people. So um, we've been really careful to scale the brand in a way that allows us to continue offering, um, you know, the highest quality ingredients. Um, I think there's a lot of hope in our brand and our company, there's beauty and transparency in the way that we communicate and share, we're not cutting corners, you know, so we really believe in walking the talk. And uh, I think that's what makes us different.
0: Absolutely. No, and I mean, the products are really good, too. I'm a fan of the ice cream, the bars that you guys have, and not Because I exclusively am dairy-free or anything like that, I always like to try new products and sometimes, um, especially with ice cream, I think dairy ice cream can sometimes be really heavy. So I think that this is also a good alternative if you're just looking for something a little bit lighter that tastes, you know, fresh and and just as good, right? And I'm on your website and the cookie products that you have, um, I definitely want me to try those because they look so good.
1: And just yeah. the range
0: of flavors that you have.
1: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's um, it's fun to do what we do. We get we have a lot of fun in our um, you know, R and D process. And and uh, one of our newer products that's out on the market is the Golden Banana Brownie Swirl, and we use banana and turmeric in the base, and then our gluten free brownies, um, and then a swirl of fudge. And so. We're, you know, we always try to incorporate um, products that taste great or innovative and that also leave you feeling good. Like you said, you, you know, food should make you feel good when you eat it. Um, It has to be pleasing to the palate, but it should also leave you feeling good.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And I think you have struck a balance with that because the combination of flavor options that you guys have is very extensive which is awesome but then also like I'm saying just the base of the product itself is not something that you're you know sacrificing one thing for the other right like sacrificing right. may feel terrible but it's going to taste really good um I think you guys struck a balance with both so that's awesome thank you so in addition to offering really high quality um organic products like you were mentioning You are also, the brand is involved in a number of really great initiatives, which I think is even better because not only are you getting a really great tasting product that you know is wholesome, but the mission behind it is great as well. One of the initiatives of Coconut Bliss, you actually started, so I would love for you to tell us a little bit more about that program to empower women coconut farmers in the Philippines and how'd you come up with it and why was it important to you to incorporate this kind of program Into the brand?
1: I really feel like capitalism, uh, first of all, needs to evolve to a higher consciousness. So I don't think it's okay for companies to just make money and forget about all the people that are involved in uh, the making of the products at the ground, literally the ground level. And as someone who grew up, in a farming family and participating in the farm work in the summers, and then growing up working in our manufacturing plants and and being part of making the food, it really instilled in me this appreciation and high value that I put on the people, you know, doing some of the hardest work for us. And so, um, and often those are some of the people, most often those are people that are paid the least. and you know, are disenfranchised and they don't have power for themselves. And so this is a way that I think Coconut Bliss has a way to change the way that business is done for the positive and to enfranchise these people and specifically women. In Paul Hawkins' book, um, Project Drawdown, he speaks about basically there are all these combinations that are these mathematical um, and economic uh, factors tying into these combinations that lead him to different scenarios that can actually, if we implement them, reverse climate change. And a majority of our team went to one of his talks in Eugene, and we were all really inspired by uh, the part where there are a few aspects, a few changes economically and socially, uh, politically that we can make that are specifically around the lives of women and and girls, that if we make these changes, it becomes the number one way to reverse climate change and not just halt it, not just improve it, but reverse it. And basically, that's giving um, women and girls access to um, reproductive rights and hygiene, education, and uh, access to owning their the ability to own or at least manage their own land. And uh, all those factors are things that have been, well, minus the reproduction part, but available to men and incorporated into you know capitalist approach to business and available to men for thousands of years, but to women they're only um, really in very recent history becoming available, but not really on a larger scale yet to some of women in the countries that we're working with. So we realized that if we're going to start having an impact, we need to start at the ground level where some of our main ingredients of our products come from and uh, some of them, uh, the coconut is sourced out of the Philippines. And this is the coconut that we use. So we buy some of our coconut milk from Thailand, but then we also buy the desiccated coconut from the Philippines. And we have a local manufacturer in Eugene that makes coconut milk for us here out of that desiccated coconut from the Philippines. So We identified um, and we've been to the region uh, in the Philippines where that coconut is grown and we've met the farmers. And so we decided we wanted to work with, find a project that we could work on specifically with them because there is a a cyclical nature nature to um, coconut farming and there will be months at a time where the coconuts are just not in harvest. And so they need to make income. And so we've basically created a fund where women can, that are um, part of these coconut farms, can use this money to create their own businesses to um, make byproducts out of the coconut. The coconut has so many byproducts, so many other uses after you harvest the inside part, the coconut meat or the coconut water. Mm -hmm. Um, there's so many byproducts from it. So they're making coconut vinegars, they're creating coconut like organic fertilizers and composts out of it, the husk can be used for um, materials, uh, for even burning for fuel, that's helping to empower hundreds of women in that region to have year round income, that is not directly tied to also the men in their lives. And that's not to discount the men. That's just, you know, to empower women to have the same opportunities that have been afforded to men for so long. It's been really rewarding to watch, you know, how that has positively impacted women's lives. But I feel like we're just getting started.
0: That's amazing. And I think that that's such a great, you know, all-encompassing initiative because on one hand you're giving these women, um, a source of income outside of the coconut farming season, but then also you're utilizing all of additional material and, you know, it's great for the environment as well. So it has such a double, um, effect that is both so important on both sides. Right.
1: Yeah. And, and hopefully it has a, that pay it forward ripple effect too. Like what are the other impacts that, doing something small like this which really you know it's still a small level project but how will you know how will that ripple into other people's
0: lives so i'd like to know how you build uh, relationships with the farmers and the suppliers that you're working with i know you talked about transparency being really important to your brand so how are you finding these partners and also how are you incorporating that into the story that you're sharing about your brand to your customers?
1: Yeah, well, on the second part, I think we could actually continue to do a much better job of, <laughs> um, and that is the sharing with our customers, really everything that we're doing. Um, I think sometimes we get so focused on our our work and the doingness of it and the sourcing and and researching and, and implementing these programs that the customers probably only know a quarter, or a third of, of what we're doing, but, um, more to the first part of the question on building relationships. Um, just the, the first one that popped into my head is kind of a, a fun one because it's very personal. Um, I've, as as I mentioned, I grew up on a um, in a farming family and and working um, alongside my siblings and father and uncles and cousins. Um, and we we're not a small farm. It's a it, it's a multi generational farm, but it has a lot of diversity of crops. And one of the things that my grandfather planted many decades ago was hazelnuts. And um, but they've always been farmed uh, conventionally. My brother, who is really such a great, um, thinker and doer and always has been very present minded. Um, he and I started talking years ago about what if we could convert, uh, and transition some of the hazelnuts to organic, and then we could supply coconut bliss with our own farm's organic hazelnuts like that would be amazing and that conversation started years ago and I am so happy to say that the hazelnuts now just starting right now literally this month that are going into coconut bliss are all from our family's farm just four miles north of our manufacturing plant
0: That's and,
1: yeah I just and I'm so I have so much like love and gratitude It's a big change to move into organic farming, um, especially with a sensitive crop like hazelnuts. Why I bring it up is it just speaks to how you really need to uh, work directly with farmers and show them the business opportunity um, to be organic or to supply to a manufacturer like us, uh, which might you know, be a little more challenging than just selling your product as a commodity, because we have high quality standards. And, and so it takes more work, it takes more diligence and quality assurance work um, that the farmer may or may not be used to being involved in uh, to work with a company like ours. But my brother took that chance. And, and, um, and I think it's just an example of how as manufacturers it's it's our responsibility to start reaching out and working directly with farmers to give them the opportunity not just to preach to them and tell them well you shouldn't be you know farming conventionally they need to be given you know they they need to have that um, business opportunity to have a reason to transition to organic you know another is just the ongoing relationship that we have formed with our coconut milk supplier out of Thailand. Uh, He and his family actually just visited us at the very end of February, right before all of the travel restrictions went into place. They had a little bit of trouble getting back to Thailand, but, um, but they're, they're all safe. Um, So I, I think it was probably 12 or 13 years ago. We We had been buying their products through, I think it was Edward and Sons, this uh, really great distributor, and, but it was just in the tiny little cans, you know, that you would take home uh, from the grocery store. (laughs) I mean, that's how (laughs) Luna and Larry started, is in these little cans of coconut milk, and um And so we, we needed something, we needed a different solution for, you know, we're used to working with tankers and pallets and totes and, you know, larger things that where you can hook up and use pumps. Uh, we traveled there and, um, my dad and I went and we, um, toured all of the coconut Uh, farm and and which is this real biodiverse it's actually biodynamic uh, coconut farm and got to meet all the you know workers and and from the ground up from peeling the coconuts to um, all the you know processing and and everything that goes into it and we were able to work with them to come up with a larger container solution for us that, um, just works much better for our manufacturing process. But in, in that process, we also just got to know that farm cause he's all, he's the farmer and he's the manufacturer. So That's we cool. just developed yeah, a much more intimate relationship with them and felt even better about the product after we returned.
0: Through everything that we've been talking about, you've been sharing your passion for sustainability and organic farming. It makes sense that you grew up on a farm where that passion kind of started. Where did your passion for, um, you know, plant-based kind of develop?
1: For plant-based, I feel like a healthy diet is primarily plant-based. And... uh, I'll share. It's maybe ironic. Um, but before meeting Luna and Larry and making coconut bliss, I was on, uh, it was the Oregon dairy products commission. So of course, growing up in a dairy family, you know, that was a big part of our lives and our business. Um, and, uh, I was on this commission for six years, and the sole purpose was to really go into schools and educate around nutrition. And of course, the dairy council is is pushing milk as part of the the whole package. But when I was on that board, which I was always shocked to be, because I was, you know, I was always the radical, <laughs> pushing all the boundaries <laughs> and you know, trying to make them all go organic and but I learned so much, actually, from the head nutritionist there, Ann Getze, about really what makes for a well-balanced diet and um, what the fuel for our bodies represents. So my, I guess on a base level, I learned just a lot about nutrition for our bodies from her. And and I know we've been taught you know, these things through school and college, but there was something very personal in her approach with it because she did not just push dairy products. She was really um, an advocate for a very healthy diet and limiting our fats and limiting our um, intake of any kind of sugars. And she was just very inspiring on that level. And maybe it, maybe it started there. Um, But as I, as I became uh, more involved in, in a plant-based company, it really started to evolve into what makes sense for the planet. So it started as a personal, like, uh, you know, nutrition, health level for me. Then at Coconut Bliss, I, I really started to see the impact that plant-based has on our communities and our world. And how it just consumes less in general, Um There's less carbon emissions, there's less waste.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good segue um, into my next question. You know, right now, it's no secret that we're in a really strange place in time. And the world as we know it has changed a great deal just in the last few months. Um, You know, obviously, there's a a lot of negative out there. But I think on the positive side, um, we are hearing stories of people you know, consuming less, being more creative with the way that they're utilizing ingredients, um, just because things aren't as widely available or people are spending more time at home and not going out as much. What do you think, um, are some of the lessons that we can take away from a time like this?
1: Yeah, I think that is such an important question for all of us right now. Um, and I don't, have the answers to it but I and I really I don't want to say that I'm glad that this happened because that's not how I'm feeling right because because of why and because of the source of why we had to um, come into ourselves more and stop moving around the planet as much and stop making as much um of a mess (laughs) on the planet um, and really become more internal. But I think that um, we do have to take the opportunity that this has provided to sit with some of these changes and ask ourselves which ones we want to continue with. And my team at Coconut Bliss, um, we're really looking at our relationship with one another Uh, differently now in terms of how many of us really need to go back into the office and be there at one time can we cut our uh, vehicle emissions in half if we um, only allow half of the staff at any time in the office Um, can we use this as an opportunity to create new initiatives for alternative transportation and um, and then on that next, taking it to the next level from a biz- business perspective, thinking about all the business that we've been able to get done from our homes, mm. is it really necessary for us to get in airplanes and travel across the country as much as we have been and continue polluting along with everyone else? Or can we take this again as an opportunity to change the way that we're doing business and getting deals done with the retailers and distributors and um, engaging with our customers. So I think it's going to become more of a uh, world in in which we're traveling less across the country. Uh, we're activating people more where they're at. so, There are amazing uh, people that are in the Coconut Bliss tribe everywhere throughout the U.S. and Canada. And how can we activate them to help represent and speak and act on behalf of the company instead of sending a representative from Eugene um, across the country? Um, So there are definitely some business decisions that we'll be making and taking the opportunity of this that I think we never would have seriously um, taken this drastic of an approach to these changes that, that really do need to be made unless forced into it as we have been. I think we're just going to continue to explore it. And I also think that it's on a personal level, It's been really amazing to be on Zoom meetings where, um, you know, kids are running in the background or someone's dog jumps up on their lap and you get a little view into, it's like a little voyeurism um, happening, but a little view into people's lives, their homes, their families. It's made this, I've just felt so many more real connections um, with people, you know, a retailer meeting that we had where, um, the buyer's wife brought him a cup of tea, you know, while we were in the meeting and just really sweet things like that that would never happen, um, if we weren't during this time. So I, I think that that's, those are some of the positive outcomes. Um, but of course not to detract from any of the heartache and pain and suffering that those that have have had COVID or have lost loved ones due to it, because that's, it's just so terrible. And I'm, I'm really, um, I know everyone at bliss is, you know, just sent out a lot of prayers and, uh, love to those, to everyone that's suffering and, Um, we have and will remain vigilant in the stay-at-home orders until we feel like it is 100% safe, um, you know, to put people out there in the world again. We don't want to put anyone in harm's way, so.
0: Very well said. And, you know, like you mentioned earlier, I hope that, you know, these relationships and, and being more empathetic toward each other is really here to stay. You know, you mentioned that as something that you thought, was important, especially in business, to get that sort of holistic connection with people. So, you know, hopefully we can continue to be kind to each other and, and continue getting through this together. One question I had since we were talking a bit about your journey, a lot of people who listen to this podcast are uh, either food entrepreneurs themselves or they're interested in building a food brand of their own. What's your advice to someone who might be in those beginning stages right now?
1: Wow. Great question. Um, it is, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. The food industry is a lot of people enter it because they have a passion for food. They have Um, something amazing that they have created that is unique and they want to share it with the world and that is the way that so many incredible companies start and so in order to not kill that passion for what you're (laughs) doing (laughs) which is really important you you have to keep the passion of the of the founders alive or you have to You know, in my case, the founders found someone that had the same passions as they did and, you know, uh, was able to carry on in the same way. Um, But you really need a team of experts around you. You can't do everything. And so you need someone, you need people that are opposite of you. You need, if you're a passionate Um, foodie that wants to and needs to spend hours in the kitchen uh, developing recipes and doing the creation part of your passion, then you need to set up your business so that you find people that are really skilled at finance. Um, Because bottom line, business is about being able to sustain that business. And the only way you can do it is if you understand your finances. So your PL, your balance sheet, what are your assets? What are your liabilities? What working capital do you have? Um, what kind of money do you need to fund your next uh, new product that you're going to launch into the market? Um, do you need to capitalize? Do you need to bring in some equity, some um, outside investment? To and to do that, you need people that you're surrounded with that can speak that language and think in terms of economics and capitalism. So, a lot of times, like people that are trained chefs or you know, just inherent foodies are not especially going to be the best people to make all of those business decisions. Um, and I, that is the main reason that I see, um, startup companies with incredible products, why we see them fail because I think the owners are trying to do too much and, you know, they're really trying to be everything in the business and really, um, asking for help is, uh, and bringing in that help that is professional and knows what they're doing, um, is really key. Um, so that's the not very sexy answer to that question. But yeah, you have to trust. You have to trust and give and empower other people to help you.
0: Well, I'm really grateful that you took the time to to share your expertise and knowledge and passion um, with with our audience. I think that you um, have obviously built a fantastic. Uh, company and Coconut Bliss is is doing wonderful things, but I also love so much that you have such a passion to um, you know improve the world and and to help others along the way. So I hope you know other companies um, get inspired by that, and we have more people doing what you're doing um, and kind of challenging the traditional you know capitalist world and views and and helping along the way as well. So this has been a pleasure. Thank you.
1: Yeah, for me as well. It's fun to talk about.
0: Yeah, before I wrap up and let you go, I usually do some fun closing questions with my guests. Are you up for that? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So number <laughs> number one, what is the last movie or TV show that you watched? Oh, my gosh. Um, so
1: I, I do love movies. Um, I had read... Brian Stevenson's *Just Mercy*, and actually, I had um, I had visited um, the, his Equal Justice Initiative, the um, the memorial and uh, museum in Montgomery, Alabama, and uh, this last September. And so that movie recently came out, *Just Mercy*, and uh, it's just highly recommend for. Anyone who uh, is interested in learning more about civil rights and justice and mercy. Love it. Number
0: two, if you could only eat three foods for the rest of your life, what would those be? (laughs)
1: it's <laughs> <That's> not fair <laughs> 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 to a foodie <laughs> okay
0: that's for most of our guests <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay so here i'll reveal that i'm not a um i'm not a vegan i am definitely a flexitarian is what we call it okay. um so mostly plant-based um and definitely most meats i do not eat but i I do eat seafood Um, and we have salmon in Oregon. That is so amazing. Um, And so salmon would have to be one of them because of how nutritious it is. And then we also grow blueberries in Oregon and they are so yummy and there's so many great antioxidants in blueberries. And then, I think the third because I just love it so much are avocado. And they're of course not grown here, but I just have to go with avocado. <laughs> love it. I
0: think avocado's on my top too. I I love it, love them so yeah. much. Yeah. <laughs> Number three, where is your favorite place that you've ever traveled to?
1: I think I would have to say um Easter Island. I, I got there via a seven-day boat ride um from uh where did we leave from um Lima, Peru. And uh which that in and of itself, those seven days was was quite something. Um not seeing any land and after a while not seeing any birds or anything, um, but dolphins and whales and um, the occasional albatross. Um but Easter Island and all of the moai uh, heads are just so impressive, and it really makes you um, put the scale of human history in mind, and the and wonder about the motivations of of humans before you know present day civilization and and it just I don't know it just conjured so much imagination and stories and and wanting to learn more about the Rapa Nui and and the Moai so it was a really magical place
0: that's really cool I mean just seeing pictures of of that is wild in itself I can't imagine seeing that in person that must have been so awesome do they know how they ended up there they're just theories
1: Well, the theory that I think is most plausible is that, um, so there used to be a lot of trees, they believe, on the island. There aren't any really now. Um, And so they would carve, there's a big volcanic um, mountain in in the center of, of the island. And they would carve the moai out of out of the volcanic rock and then they believe that they cut the timbers um and or at least one belief is they would roll them along the timbers all the way once they got the moai had cut out which I can't even imagine how they were chiseling that out but then you know ancient Egypt and the pyramids too you gotta yeah another wild yeah Yeah. (laughs) yeah and so I believe um, the one theory is they rolled them, you know, out to the where they would line them up facing outward to the to the ocean to make it look like they were very large and powerful uh, beings on the island, so that no one would invade. Um, That's interesting. Yeah, uh, they also think some think that shamans like elevated them and move them with the power of, of their minds um, telepathy. And so there's a lot of theories, but
0: <laughs> one of natural mysteries. That's, that's right. really cool. Exactly. Okay. Number four, what's one thing most people would never guess about you?
1: Well, they, they probably wouldn't guess that I know how to drive really big trucks (laughs) Cool, (laughs) like 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 (laughs) fifth fifth wheels like um you know semis and that are like nine speeds and you can um uh, it's not because it's an interest (laughs) it's because (laughs) (laughs) Out (laughs) out of necessity growing up uh farming I I starting at a young age would be put in all type of different tractor trailer fifth wheel you know old beat up pieces of equipment that you quickly had to learn how to back anything up into a very small space take corners and not hit anything or drag it the back of a trailer off into a ditch um you know control the vehicle in precarious situations um Yeah, I have lots of stories about the precarious
0: situations. But anyway, (laughs) that's really cool. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks again for for taking some time out of your day to chat with me. Um, This was really fun. And I think that our listeners are going to get a lot out of this conversation. Where, um, before we sign off, where can people learn more about Coconut Bliss?
1: Very easy at coconutbliss.com, or and that's our website, or um, at our Facebook, or uh, follow us on Instagram and also on Twitter.